Somebody needs to pay for what's happened to her. It's been eight years since a Greenbrier County woman was last seen. Eight years of searching for a mother, daughter, sister, and friend looking for a woman whose last known location was at the home of a former reality TV star before she seemingly vanished. Piles upon piles of evidence, all to come up cold with no answers. It's a case that may have more than what's on the surface. And now, investigators believe someone in the community may have the final clue to crack this case wide open. So how much longer until a grieving family finally gets closure and we finally get answers to a case gone ice cold? Everyone's story deserves to be told, and now we're telling Deanne Keens. I'm Casey Gentile. And I'm Autumn Collins. Welcome to Crime in the Coalfields. This podcast is brought to you by Notoriously Morbid and Rose and Quessenberry Funeral Chapels. When originality is everything, Notoriously Morbid has you covered. We offer a full array of exciting cosmetics, and if alternative clothing is your style, we have it. Check us out online or stop by. Notoriously Morbid. Embrace your beautiful darkness. How would you like to relieve the emotional and financial burden off of those you love, express your own wishes, and avoid conflicts among family members? Call Sandy Evans at Rosenquist and Berry today. Dan Keene was born in Marlinton, Pocahontas County on January 4, 1971. She's the daughter of Lynn and Anna Keene, and she's a mother, cousin, grandma, and friend. She's the youngest of four siblings. She has an older sister and two older brothers. She has two children, Brianna and Branson, and they lived in Frankfurt, Greenbrier County, where they had a happy, quiet life. She loved hair and makeup and getting all dressed up, and she was described by her family as loving life and always smiling. But one day, Deanne just vanished without a trace. March 5th, 2014, life was forever changed for the Keene family. Now, Casey, this story is not one that we're used to. There's not much information about the crime itself, if there was one, and there's not much information about the days leading up to her disappearance. So this has been a little bit different for us. We're actually going to tell this story more so what happened after the facts and the investigation after. And this is still an active investigation. So that's a big motivation for why we wanted to do this case to get this information out to the public. We're going to hear from Angie Hara, who was Deanne's first cousin and she is still grieving the loss of her best friend, and here's how she is going to always remember Deanne. Her smile, she um, was always so bubbly, she was always so full of life, um, she was, you know, she always joked, she just had a really, really good personality. She would, you know, help anybody out if anybody, you know, anybody was down and out. She was, you know, more than willing to help them. She would give you a place to stay. She would have took the shirt right off her back and, and give it to anybody who who needed help. That's just the kind of person she was. Life seemed normal when Angie went to visit Deanne just nine days before she was last seen. She said Deanne was dressed like normal. She had a bandana on, jeans, and a white shirt. Those details paint a picture of Deanne that Angie will always remember. When she stopped by the house, she says that Deanne was her usual happy, bubbly self, and she never imagined that would be the last time she would see her cousin based on how normal that last interaction was. The last time 
I seen Deanne was on the 19th of February of 2014. I had been to Lewisburg that day and I stopped by her house that afternoon. She was there. We just talked, you know, like we normally would talk, you know, just about, we talked about her mother, some about the kids and, you know, things like that. And, um, Deanne was the type of person when you would go visit her or she would visit you when she got ready to leave or whenever I would leave or whatever, she would always give you a hug and tell you that she loved you. So, uh, you know, that are the, that's the last words that she ever said to me was, I love you, Ange. And I told her I loved her. Deanne was 43 years old when she was last seen on February 28, 2014. However, she was not reported missing until five days later on March 5th. Her family tells us they had absolutely no idea that she was missing. They believe she was last seen with a group of people, but they can't wrap their heads around what took them so long to let the family know that she seemingly disappeared. You know, the people that knew she had not been seen or heard from in five days, why didn't they contact the cops earlier? We know her last location was at a home on Leonard Long Road, which is a very remote area in Rennick, Greenbrier County. And Casey, you've actually been there. You've seen exactly where Deanne was last seen for the final time. Yeah, me and or Skylar Eagle and I went out there um, just to try and get an idea. Skylar did a story um, on this case as well. And it is, like you mentioned, a very remote area. It's going up and down a mountain, a very winding road. It's not... It's a paved road, but I don't know if you could call it a paved road. Uh, potholes everywhere and pretty much only suitable for one car. I think there's one bar of cell phone service. So needless to say, it's not an area where a lot of people are traveling. In. Is it one of those back roads in West Virginia that you pretty much have to know where you're going to be on that road? Oh, yeah. There were some very sharp turns. And at points, Skylar and I were like, where on earth are we? Like, we it feels like you're literally in the woods driving there. Because you are. Yeah, you are in the woods. <laughs> so the lead investigator with West Virginia State Police, Sergeant Blevins, said there's hundreds of pieces of evidence in this case, which he tells us is some of the most evidence they've ever had in an investigation. But still, with all of this information and all of this evidence, this case still remains cold. Several several people that that we've looked to con conduct interviews and, and, and are people of interest that we believe have information haven't been very cooperative, haven't wanted to, to sit down and talk with us and discuss uh, issues, which makes things more difficult. There are three persons of interest in this case. However, there's only one that police have confirmed to 59 News, and that person is Ron McMillan. He was the last person Deanne was reportedly seen with on Leonard Long Road, and he had a home there. And Ron McMillan is actually someone who a lot of you listening might have watched before. He was featured on the History Channel show Appalachian Outlaws. And this is a show about the whole crazy world of harvesting ginseng. They profile the growers, the diggers, and the middlemen who work in this cutthroat world. And if you don't know anything about the ginseng world, it, Casey, is absolutely insane. I actually Googled why this was such an intense, you know, cutthroat industry. Enlighten us, Autumn. Basically, the bottom line is there's a lot of money in this industry, way more than what you would actually believe. So that's just, it's all about the money, baby. According to our initial reports, a criminal complaint was filed with statements from friends who last saw Deanne. 
They claimed McMillan fired a gun that nearly missed her head. Now, we don't know if he aimed the gun at her head and fired or if he was just shooting a gun and she was nearby. We don't have those specific details. But what we do know is that McMillan had a criminal record. He served 25 years in prison on charges of robbery, burglary, and grand larceny with intent to commit murder. So this guy doesn't have a clean slate in any in any capacity. No, but I really think that it's important that we mention that there is a significant difference between a person of interest and a suspect. Um, so in this investigation, in any investigation, a person of interest is someone who law enforcement believes has important information in an investigation. This doesn't necessarily mean that police believe this person of interest has criminal involvement. If they feel a crime has been committed, that person would then become a suspect. So in this particular case, Ron McMillan is still a person of interest, but we just felt like his criminal history is important to mention as he is being questioned in this investigation. But Autumn, too, right now, police don't have any solid suspects. Mom-blowing. Eight years later, and how do we not have a suspect? But Especially when investigators say that this is the most evidence they've ever had in a case, and they still just cannot get anywhere. I know, and that's, I think, what is hurting the family the most because this is such a small town and her family just doesn't understand why there isn't any progress in this investigation. In the beginning, Angie was telling us that family members were getting so many different tips from different people with stories of what they thought happened. Of course, they're eager for answers, so they report all of that to state police who then follows up on all of those leads and still no break in the case. Just something that is hard to believe in a town with a population just over 200 people. I mean, this is small town and nothing like that ever happens around here. And I just don't understand how come it has not been solved. Casey, when Angie talks about being from a small town and how things like this just don't happen in small towns, I can totally understand because I'm also from a small town. I'm from Logan, West Virginia, and there's about 1,700 people there. So my small town is actually so much bigger than this small town that we're talking about. Just 200 people. That is such a small amount of people. But my point is that in our small town of 1,700 people, truly everyone knows everyone. We know everyone's business. We know what's going on in everyone's life. You can't go anywhere without seeing someone that you know. So let's compare that to a town of just 200 people and somehow, some way. Nothing has broke through in this case, and it's so mind-blowing to me because I get that in small towns, crimes really don't happen. But when they do, everyone bands together to try to make sure that this is solved, and that's just not happening in this case. A part of me honestly wonders, though, if the location that she was last seen has something to do with it. Like, So if you're driving through Rennick, you're on Route 219, which is the main road. But in order to get where she was last seen, you have to make a turnoff. So it's not like, you know, like sh- sh- this happened in the main part of town. That's just me thinking maybe that has something to do with it because I'm sure I can tell you on that road, there may be like a population of five. Yeah. And there's not a lot of people. But I know what you mean. A small town, everybody knows everybody. Nobody's businesses. But I also wonder if maybe the person she was last seen with and the circumstances surrounding that last 
moment that people saw her with him, I wonder if that has something to do with it. Because, I mean, like we said, he's a dangerous man. He has a criminal record. And, you know, I wonder if people are scared to come forward. I was just going to say that. And a lot of investigations, I think people are always afraid of the repercussions. And I think I think it's safe for us to say that that is certainly the case in this investigation, whether this is a person of interest, whether this is a suspect or whether he's not being questioned at all or whoever is being questioned at all. People are people are scared. I get all of the different narratives that we can say or in play when it comes to this, but it still is just so insane to me that in a town of 200 people, you know, there's no secrets in a small town. They say that and that's true. So I just... I just don't understand how we're still, there's nothing. Well, a big part of it too, whenever we were there to interview Sergeant Blevins, he said a lot of people have moved away too. So that small town is now even smaller. And she was living in Frankfurt, which is just the next town over, which still in itself isn't any bigger. I mean, there's a school there, but you know that doesn't make a town much bigger. So I think that has a lot to do with it too, where people aren't staying here and... You're not going to go and question someone who lives hundreds of miles away. You know, if they don't answer the phone, better luck next time. And while this is still classified as a missing persons investigation, state police tell us that now they may be changing the direction of this investigation. Right now we're we're treating it. uh, She's still missing. Uh, We don't have a body, but we are looking at it, uh, looking towards a, a homicide. She didn't just disappear on her own. So is it safe to say that you don't think that she's alive right now? If she were alive, there is no way she would have. No, I don't think she is because she would not be gone eight years and not contacted her children or her mother. No, no, I I don't think she's alive. At this point, the family is confident that this is no longer a missing persons case but that doesn't stop their job to find out what actually happened to Deanne and to finally give her the proper burial that she deserves. But somebody somewhere, they, they know something. They know where she's at. They know. I don't understand why people can't just make an anonymous phone call and at least tell the cops where her remains are. You know, that that would be a start. I mean, at least we could put her, you know, bury her properly, put her to rest. Her family needs answers. Um, her mother, her her mother, her family, her mother, her children, her brothers, her sister, nieces, nephews, cousins. We all, we all want answers. We we want closure. We would like to be able to properly lay her to rest. You know, give her um, that she needs justice. She needs justice. Somebody needs to pay for what happened to her. But this isn't just a case keeping the family up at night. State police also want justice for Deanne, and they believe that someone in the community has those answers that, as we've mentioned, may be too fearful to come forward. And those answers could come from you. I mean, put yourself in this family's shoes. Eight years without your mother, your daughter, your sister, your cousin, your friend. We heard Angie just name it. I mean, that's powerful. Eight years without Deanne. I can't imagine not knowing for eight whole years what happened to someone who I love so much. You know, it's really hard to imagine, but that's why we're doing this story because there's so many cases like this. There's so many cases that people don't know about. There's not many people in this community that even know that this is happening. And that's why we're doing this. We want to get as much information out as we possibly can and 
you know, our hopes is that someone out there is finally going to have the courage to come forward and give what information they have so this family can finally get the peace that they have been searching for. And we didn't hear Angie say it, but Autumn, when we interviewed her, she said, and this really stuck with me, you know, they want news, but they don't want news because Mm -hmm. they know whenever they get news, it's going to more than likely be bad. But in a sense, they need that so that they can move forward. I mean, you're never really going to be able to truly move forward. You're always going to have a void in your life. But I mean, everybody has a story. Everyone's story deserves to be told. And Deanne deserves to, if she is no longer living, deserves to have a proper burial. And I think that's one thing, too, that the family is so motivated for is that they feel like this case isn't getting the attention that it deserves. Deanne does have a story and it deserves to be told no matter what that story looks like. That's why they're so desperate to get these answers and to get this information out there because her story matters and what happened to her matters. Angie also told us that Deanne's mother's health is declining and she's now living in a nursing home. And I know when I talked to Sergeant Blevins, of course, they want to try and get this case solved. A, as investigators, you don't ever want to have that file sitting on your case or sitting on your desk with no end to it. But of course, I mean, her health is declining, as I mentioned. They want her mother to be able to live knowing exactly what happened to her daughter. And of course, she does deserve that. She does. And we just want to emphasize this is why it's so important to call the police whenever you see anything, whenever you hear of anything, when you see something that is out of the ordinary. You know, there were people there that night who saw him shoot a gun and miss her head. And what if they would have called the police as soon as that happened? What could have changed? How could this whole thing have been different if the people who last saw her would have called the police and said what they had seen? Five days is a pretty big gap. It is. Anything can happen in five days. So much can happen in five days. And there's no information that's too small either. I think a lot of people think, well, I just have one little detail. That could be exactly what they needed to wrap up that last lead that they were working on. And that could be the thing that puts somebody behind bars for this. If if that is what happened. Again, technically, it's still a missing persons case. But you heard state police say it and you heard her family say it. They don't think that Deanna's still alive. No, and I don't think that her family does either at this point, which... You know, that's why they're doing all they can to keep her memory alive because that's all they have of her. And her cousin Angie tells us a little bit about the memory that she has and what she's holding on to as the days move forward. Some of my fondest memories were, you know, growing up, spending the night with each other. Usually spent a lot of, you know, the summers with each other. We were always a big part of each other's lives, always. Um, I have so many good memories with her so many you know just a whole lot of memories um and since she disappeared you know i i think about the good memories all the time and i wish we could still have them but sadly we can't and there's a ten thousand dollar reward for any information leading to an arrest in this case this is a reward from the state police with assistance of the greenbrier county prosecutor's office the greenbrier county drug and violent crime task force and the Greenbrier County Sheriff's Department. To collect this money, you would have to provide information that, of course, leads to an arrest or the location of Deanne's body. You can contact the state police with any information that you have, big or small, at 
647-7600 or 304-256-6700. We have pictures of Deanne over on our website. We also have all of our initial reports from when this story first broke and from our most recent reporting. That's on WVNSTV.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Crime in the Coalfields. This podcast is brought to you by Notoriously Morbid and Rose in Quessenberry Funeral Chapels. We'll see you in two weeks. This podcast is a production of WVNS 59 News in Beckley, West Virginia. It's written and produced by Casey Gentile and Autumn Collins. Production and editing is done by Brian C. For more information on this case and others, you can visit our website at WVNSTV.com.